Hello everyone, this is Lando Norris and we're on Beyond the Grid. Hi everyone, we're back. Yes, welcome to season three of Beyond the Grid. My name is Tom Clarkson and it's great to have you with us for another year of revealing conversations with the biggest names in racing. We've got some great guests coming up with some truly great stories to tell. And my first guest is absolutely no exception. He's a driver who's only entering his second season of Formula One, yet he's already one of the sport's most popular drivers. He's developed a cult following with fans on social media, his quirky quitwit proving to be a hit with all ages. And that's to say nothing of his speed in a racing car. Only a year ago, he was making his Formula One debut in Melbourne, aged just 19. He acquitted himself well, getting into Q3 at Albert Park, and he went on to establish himself as quick and consistent, playing an integral part in securing McLaren's fourth place in the Constructors' Championship. His reward was a second season with the team in 2020, in which he'll seek to become part of the F1 establishment. I'm talking, of course, about Lando Norris. Lando and I caught up on the final day of pre-season testing in Barcelona. He was in typically relaxed and amusing form. In fact, in 20 plus years in Formula One, I don't think I've had a conversation with a driver similar to this one. Yes, we spoke about how his McLaren is shaping up for 2020, but we delved into so many other areas as well, including his love of gaming, his unusual upbringing, his relationships with other drivers and his rather extreme approach to cleaning the house. I kid you not. I hope you enjoy it. Lando. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you on. The new season's just around the corner. Before we get started, there's an interesting pile of food sat in front of you. Um, <laughs> which I've not eaten. Which you have not eaten. I seem to do a lot of these interviews with people eating uh, uh, Daniel oh, yeah. Ricciardo. But that was, he was eating chips, interestingly. That's a lot more healthy, isn't it? What is it? A bit of chicken? Um, it's chicken skewers with some sweet potato, some vegetables and a little side salad. And, and who dictates what you have for lunch? Are you able to choose or is, is it all quite strict? Um, I mean, I, I have my preferences, which is normally a chicken wrap with rice and guacamole. I mean, that, that's, I go through a big, a huge quantity of wraps. This is not on my favourites list, but sometimes you just got to not have what you, you always want. Because I'll get bored of wraps eventually. So I have to sometimes give myself something I don't necessarily like. So when I go back to having a wrap, it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> my, my trainer, um, my trainer, pretty much decides. I doesn't decide, but he gives me a whole list of things I can choose from that I, I should have. Uh, but I mean, this is all cold now. I just had a meeting in the in the truck, and uh, this has been sitting in front of me for at least an hour. Oh, okay. So it might do another. But hour I've been doing a lot time. of talking. Yeah, and I yeah. probably will be now. So it's going to be in front of me for another hour. <laughs> Well, you look in good shape. Um, I mean, they always say fitness is cumulative. Yeah. Are you in? How much better shape are you in now compared to twelve months ago, coming into your first season? Uh, I think a lot better. Um, I mean, the main thing is how I've done in the last few days, and one of the biggest things everyone struggles with is neck around here after doing so many laps. We're, we're in Barcelona. It's we the last Barcelona. day of the first, sorry, second pre-season second test. test, and yeah. the neck's been standing up to these G forces. Um, well, hmm. test one, no. Test one, I was 
by the end of it, I was struggling. I did the race run and everything. And I did a decent amount in the gym, not like, you know, not every single day going at it, but what I, I needed to do, what my trainer said, you need to do a decent amount of days and so on. So I've done all of that. So I was feeling good, but um, I don't even think if you do all of, as if you train every day, you're not gonna go into day one of driving a Formula One car after a winter break and be, be fine. It's just the way of how driving a car works, you just can't replicate it by someone pulling on your neck and sitting off the side of your bed doing neck exercises. Um, because you don't have the whole force on your body and your shoulders, you're not in the same position. Um, and you can replicate it as much as you want, but you're not driving a Formula One car until you're driving a Formula One car. And these are quicker than last year, right? They are. Is it noticeable on your body? Um, the force is going through? It is. And I think for us, obviously, uh, we had, you know, compared to Mercedes, I'm sure they struggled to make as, I'm hoping they can't take as much of a step forward as what we should be able to, let's say. Um, and we want to be getting closer to them. So we should be the ones getting much quicker in the corners, which you do notice physically because you go from doing your, your qualifying runs or you do, you do practice runs, you go on new, new, new tires, low fuel, cornering speeds go up. You feel it physically straight away. You know, you're going five, 10K quicker in the corners, um, especially around here, turn three, turn one, turn four, medium and high speed corners. And you feel it straight away. So. I mentioned for Mercedes who go even quicker. Physically, you do need to be stronger to drive a Mercedes than another car. But, uh, and for us, we've taken a step forward in those medium and high speed corners. So physically it is tougher. Um, but day one, I struggled and everyone struggled on the grid. I mean, even the people who have been in it for 10 years and know what to expect and how it's gonna be. Vettel, Lewis, Max, Ricardo, you see all of them after lunchtime, their necks are, they're saying hello to the, the headrests very often. Um, and so was mine, like being honest, so was mine. But um, this week I'm, I'm much better. Like after recovering and just doing, getting the first weekend, the first week out of the way, the first few days, letting your body recover after getting used to how everything works again. Um, I did my race run, I did all the quality runs and uh, I was good. I didn't touch the headrest once, which I'm kind of proud of. Yay! Because I'm not the biggest. <laughs> I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not the strongest. I know that. And uh, you know, you see all the other drivers who are say they're in the gym every day and they're the fittest they've ever been, and um, they're leaning their necks on every single corner. So look, that's that's the physical differences, right? Yes. Between last year and this year. But as you come into year two, how does it feel mentally in terms of? You know the score, you know yeah. the media now, you know how it works, you know how to get the best out of the team. And with that, is there more pressure to perform? There's a different pressure. There's less pressure altogether, less pressure that I put on myself. I think last year I put a lot of pressure on myself um, because I didn't know how I was going to do. I did well in some testing and everything, but that's not the actual race weekend. Um, but that must have lessened after Melbourne. You had that straight away after weekend. Melbourne. Q3 it went down. In Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. And I felt much better than I did Bahrain. Had a much even better, better race yeah. Yeah. than I had in Australia. Even better. So I had a very good first two races to give myself a lot of confidence, which I think helped massively. But I put a lot of pressure on myself, not knowing what to expect. Now I know what to expect. I don't need to put that pressure on myself. Um, I didn't need to put it on before, but I just, I was putting it on myself. So now I'm, I feel much better 
for my own well-being but then at the same time there's always pressure from just being a Formula One driver um, you kind of have to be on working for McLaren the whole time don't you yes you can't have a bad day no do you is that true um I mean, or, you, you obviously you can, to, but... You have to mask a bad day very well. Yeah, you need to come up with this, <laughs> the excuse book for... Yeah, but, you know, I just feel like we didn't start the weekend off right, and that led to not get working on the setup as well but as we should have done. Is, is that exhausting, though? That, that feeling of you get on the plane to go to a race, and, and you know that from the moment you arrive to the moment you leave yep. on Sunday night, people are looking at you people are listening to every word you say people mm. are judging every sector you do on a racetrack no I think that that is there but we're still humans we we make mistakes sometimes it's it's expected of course being last year in my first year it was expected more so so you have a bit more leeway to make those mistakes and if it does happen it's don't worry you don't do it again <laughs> Um, but I'm more confident in myself and I know I'll do a better job um, but it is yeah it's Formula 1 there is pressure that, there's always going to be pressure no matter if you're in your you know I'm sure for Lewis there's still pressure there's still some expectation for him to do well and so on but I think you just get a bit used to it and it becomes the norm so then it just you don't feel it eventually in, in certain ways and how has your understanding of speed and how to make the car go quick evolved? It's um, it's much better actually, um, especially my understanding for the car and how it works because F1 cars are so complicated; it's insane. Um, what and how to make them go fast in terms of setup wise and everything? Um, you know the differences from a bumpy track to a smooth track and how the car operates there's always a little window for how the car perfectly operates and you always want to try and get it in that window for different tracks and sometimes you can't and you have to adjust your driving style to suit that so the understanding for how the car needs to be driven and set up and so on um, and my ideas and knowledge for the setup and what you know I can now say I think we should try this because I remember when we did that last year that was a good step forward so I have some memories and things I can look back on and say we have to do this or this worked last time and so on do you keep a notebook? no As well a, do you go to a race and, and I always bring a notebook I ended up writing I ended up writing nothing in it <laughs> but I want to like um, no I mean we do I don't have my own notebook but as I mean, I'm sure we'll we have our chat. own chat and we always write anything that I come up with or I have an idea for or they do we put in the chat and we discuss it next time we see each other so I guess we got a social notebook. So, so you are you now more demanding as a racing driver in terms of Will Joseph, your your race engineer? Yeah. Do, do you, if he was sat in this chair here, would he be nodding, saying yes, he is more demanding? Um, I yes, I was, but not not obviously in a bad way. I'm not saying I'm arrogant or anything like that. But last year, you know, my first year, um, I didn't have the knowledge of those guys in in a lot of areas. So in a lot of circumstances when they're saying I think we should do this I was agreeing to it I'm like yep yeah. box is lap I'm like yep yeah. okay I'm doing I'll do that because that's what they think is the best at that time and, and so on so I always there was a lot of yeses I was yes man last year and this year already in pre-season like they're saying alright Lando box this lap and I said no 
I feel so bad. Like, no, I'm doing another lap. Um, and I say, no, I just, I didn't feel like I got it right. I want to, I need a bit more of a feeling for the setup or I just want to get turn right, I get um, turn one right uh, before we go into the qualifying run or I want to try this or something. So for my own good and for the good for everyone, actually, it's um, I'm a bit more demanding what I want to do and want to achieve. And um, yeah, it's not just for my own benefit, but I'll do a better job because of it and then I'll give better feedback on the car because of it and, and so on. So yeah, I'm at the point now and after doing the season where they also trust me when I say it. It's not like I always get it wrong and I'm saying yes because I'm arrogant, but I'm saying yes because it's the best thing for, for me. So is it fair to say from a setup point of view, yeah. you maybe followed Carlos Sainz, teammate Carlos Sainz, a bit last year and we're going to see you maybe do your a own thing bit. a bit more um, in 2020? Not, not completely. Sometimes it was the contrast. Sometimes it was like I would do it and sometimes I didn't necessarily want the fastest car. I wanted one that I felt good in and I felt like I could be confident in. Um, already like in Australia last year. My first time, Carlos was going with a bit more aggressive, one he felt maybe not so confident with. Maybe he felt confident, but compared to me, I'm like a bit stiffer. I don't want that. I, don't want, I want the confidence on the brakes. I want to be able to push the braking and I don't want to lose confidence basically. So go for a slightly softer setup and and so on. And sometimes I'll be the opposite way of what Carlos is going. So you have that and then you have the other times where I'm like, look, Carlos did that and it looked like a good step. Let's just do what he's done. And sometimes that's between FP3 and qualifying. Sometimes that's from FP2 to FP3. So I wouldn't say I just followed what they did because it was my first time and I didn't know what to do. I think, and I'm, I'm happy with what we did between my engineers and myself that we always did what we thought was best for us, us as a, as a, a team, um, and for me and my driving. It's fascinating and fun to hear you talking so technically about the car, because, I mean, if I was to say to you what's the biggest misapprehension about you, the, the sort of biggest misunderstanding about you, what would it be? Would it be that you're actually very analytical and it slightly goes against the jokey persona that you, you developed um, last year? I don't think the outside world hears you talk in such detail no. about a car and stuff like that. So no, now's your chance, folks. It's like, yeah. I think I'm quite, a lot of the time I'm quite broad with things. Like when I say something, I'll say it in a quite simple way to most people. But when I get into something, and it's not just saying something, but say I'm, um, I don't know, I think this is a good, something to compare to. If I'm cleaning the house, um, You've I'm, just bought a new house, haven't you? So you're obviously still very house proud. Yes, <laughs> completely. So about cleaning the house. Um, if I'm cleaning the house, I get into it and I can't stop until one for the, the speaking. I've described everything and I feel like I've transferred it in the best driver feeling way to an engineer who's not driven a Formula One car and he looks at graphs and he tries to judge a car from that. Um, Cause it's not, you know, we don't just say, yeah, we've got understeer here and I just turn the wheel more and it doesn't grip. We have to try and explain it in a way to a guy who designs it and comes up with these ideas. And you know, you need to tell them every little bit of detail that maybe puts the car in a, a certain position, whether it's a few millimeters, that's massive in Formula One. Um, so it's like, 
you need to describe everything. And um, when I get into something, I just, I have to complete it, I have to finish it, I have to do all the details. So when I'm cleaning the house, I can't just start it. Like once I've started, I will spend all night until three in the morning or something, probably because I've started at like 12 o'clock and I just had a stupid idea to go, I'm gonna start cleaning up. I just can't stop it and go, yeah, I'll leave this for tomorrow. I have to complete it and, and do everything and then I go to bed at <laughs> stupid o'clock, four in the morning going, having cleaned the house. I've cleaned it. That's amazing. And I come down the next come morning, morning to probably something. knackered <laughs> and go, but then I'm happy with myself. And I'm like, nice. Are you a bit of a night owl? Oh, completely. So what, what, I mean, you, you say you go to bed at four o'clock in the morning and that- that's, I, I that's was surprised on a rare, a rare that, occasion that, that, that I've decided to clean. <laughs> But is it, I mean, are you a midnight? Is it? Oh, yes. I um, Midnight to bed. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, lately, and so over the winter I was, and I was going to bed too late for now, for going back to McLaren, for going back to, to doing what I love, um, and for working and operating at my best. There's, I, have, I have different times. So I have the, I want to spend all night having fun and playing games and whatever. There is no limit to that. That can end up, sometimes that doesn't end. I'll spend the whole 48 hours doing it. Um, and then hey, some- Hang on, hang on, stop. You really? really? Yeah. Really, 48 hours there was nonstop gaming. Oh, I was 48 hours. I would say, say I wake up at 10 in the morning, um, have some breakfast, get on the computer <laughs> for a few hours, have lunch, and pretty much spend, let's say two o'clock, until seven, or actually won't be able to, two o'clock till nine, I'll have dinner. And then go from nine till the next day. What time, all through the night? Seven, till 7 a.m. Till 7 a.m. Still playing, <laughs> breakfast. Uh, then I'll spend all the way till like midnight the next day. That's extraordinary. But it's just, I don't know why, it's just, that's how much I, well, I, suppose I other enjoy old, things. Other 20 I mean, other than them going out at night and yeah. coming out at five every morning and and you're doing it being drunk way. and stuff so mine's I'm not getting drunk I'm, I, I do that very rarely um, but I don't enjoy that whereas I love doing stuff and stuff I love doing I just can't stop doing so whether it's driving or you know designing my helmets or designing my clothing um, or coming up with those ideas or playing games or something or playing my, my computer once I'm doing that I just I'm just having so much fun. I don't go, oh, I'm getting a bit tired now. I just, the fun overrides all of that and the enjoyment overrides all of that. Um, and I become a nerd and I spend however many hours that is. When you say designing your own clothing. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I didn't. Well, I had a little, I had a bad boy moment where I, I was like, I just wanted to create my own merch. So I went onto his website and started creating it and uh, then started selling some stuff and then got a bit of a telling off from McLaren because I'm not allowed to do that. And, and was... <laughs> <laughs> what was the style? I didn't see this. I didn't know you well, No that. one's... No one's sorry. I'm talking about one hour. I got to... No, no, I, thought, I thought you said you sold some stuff. Yeah, I did. A couple of things. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a massive hoodie guy. Always hoodies. I don't think you'll ever see me very rarely wear a... Is it a fleece? A, a, just a normal jumper that's got no hoodie on. Apart from when I have to dress a bit smarter. Then I wear it, but any time I'm traveling, I'm in casual clothing from here to the airport in a bit. From any time you see me traveling, I will not be wearing a normal jumper, I'll always be wearing a hoodie. 
because you're trying to hope no I just love hoodies you. no, they're comfortable I, so, I can't do it one with no neck I don't know I feel really cold then my neck feels really cold oh I see so the hoodie's not up the whole time um, just, some of the time half the time incognito yeah no, no. with my headphones over the top I still can't work out if I put my headphones under the hoodie or my headphones over the hoodie or I just get in-ear Bluetooth headphones. <laughs> I've not worked that one out yet. But, um, yeah, no, I just, I'm, I'm not good at Photoshop. I'm not good at those kind of things, but I still can create little logos. I mean, I use my logo and I cut it up into a few bits and then kind of put it back together and it looks a bit jagged and so on. And um, I don't know, it just looks cool and it's a bit of a style and stuff. Um, or you can do different colors for it. And I just create some stuff. Oh, what a pity we can't buy that. I know, right? Did you say, well, Lewis can do that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like I have that kind of authority <laughs> in year one of driving for McLaren <laughs> compared to a six-time world champion. I didn't feel like I had the right to do that. Um, but I would love to. Like, That's really interesting. I love doing that kind of stuff. That's one of my passions and things I love doing is designing and coming up with my own ideas and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I just had that, like with the cleaning stuff, this moment where I'm, I'm like, I got this idea. I just want to create a jumper and sell it. <laughs> and then I do the creative jumpers and then some t-shirts. Um, I mean, and phone cases as well. Um, and I can come up with my own designs and you know, I can transfer it and I can, I can do that kind of stuff. And then I completed it. I was happy with myself that I completed it. So are you very arty? I'm, I have a, a keen eye for art I wouldn't say I'm the best at it like when I was in school I loved art right not you know hand painting on a canvas but uh, more the graphic design the cool um, interaction parts the yeah the, the more fun stuff rather than painting on a canvas I didn't enjoy that kind of stuff but the um, yeah graphic design is probably one of the best ways to say it um, just coming up with some I don't know just if I have an idea I, I love doing it I even remember back in school, that was a freaking long time ago. Hang on, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I assure you it was longer for me. 20... 2011. Ages ago. Yeah. Back in the day, I went to school with Manuel Maldonado, who is Pastor Maldonado's cousin. And he races in Formula Renault or something now. Um, and I went to school with him and we, of course we were like best mates because we knew everything about racing and just was he racing was, he was, was at doing, the time he mm, was he wasn't doing a lot at the time because I think he just moved from Venezuela or something to to England um, and he spoke no English he ended up speaking quite a bit but can you, um, can you speak Spanish no okay. I'm a little bit but so how, how no. did you communicate with him hmm? how did you communicate with him I mean well, I couldn't begin with just sign language of cars push um, and I actually got this like um, we created this on a big like big poster we coloured in it sounds really sad now coloured in like a picture of the Joker the Joker and we traced it from the projector onto this big poster and we coloured it in and uh, I know it's still really cool I actually have a um at my parents' house, uh, it's still there. But no, we just have cool. There's cool things which I, I like, and I'm I have an interest for. 
um, which I love and I love to keep those things and keep the memories for it. And that's something I loved doing since I was really young um, and doing some like photography and bits and bobs. So as a a kid, is that what you were good at outside of racing Um, carts and cars? I don't think I was ever good at it, but I would spend a lot of time doing it, like hours and hours and hours, um, coloring in, like coming up with helmet designs, um, not even my own, but just making an idea. Um, or having an idea and coming up with it and stuff. And I spent hours doing that and I did a lot in school and come up with the drawings and find the bottle and try and draw the bottle, but I was not very good at that. So I stopped that and I found more of the graphic design and coming up with the helmet designs, my suit design, boots. Um, that's when it felt more like what I would create, I would, I'd be wearing and it felt more part of me rather than drawing a picture of a bottle or something. I mean, you say when you were at school, I mean, as a guy who did a lot of karting, yeah. how often were you actually at school and how much of it was homeschooling in the way that Lewis Hamilton was and so many yeah. of the karters? Are- um, so I did one year of homeschooling in my final year, which was my year of GCSEs. Before that, we like, let's see, I hung on as much as I could with being at school and catching up on lost time and, and so on. But karting then was driving and testing Wednesday, Thursday, racing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Most weeks or? or? Majority of weeks. I'd say at least two every month. Maybe probably, yeah, two, three every month. No, this is abroad international. Mainly Italy, Spain, UK. And that's a lot of time, Wednesday. So I travel Tuesday evening or Tuesday lunchtime would have to leave sometimes. So you did one and a half days a week. It was awful. I don't know why would anyone come up with the idea of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday weeks of karting. And this was when I was 12, 13. But it was, you know, kids who are doing that at already like nine, 10 years old. So it's a bad thought process. Whoever came up with that, and I think now they've changed it. So it's a lot of the time Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Did you feel you were missing out? Or were you just loving the karting so much? No, I mean, I wouldn't change it for anything. Of course, I missed out on things. And I missed out on a lot of normal people things and stuff you grow up doing with your friends at school. I've not really kept in contact with any of my friends in school, which is sad. It, it is kind of a sad thing to think about. But uh, yeah, I do feel like I missed out on, on certain things. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to change it to do anything else but what's it like being on the road in Italy age 12, 13 yeah. being homeschooled so what you had a teacher come with you in the, so in the do, truck or? no so I was homeschooled in what, GCSE time so 20 oh sorry you said that yeah yeah I don't know what year that would have been 2014 2013 um what year I don't know what year but what's it like to be on the road the whole time as a 12, 13, 14 year old um, I mean, I was loving it because I was missing school. <laughs> it was great. Uh, it was tough. It's not all. It wasn't all. Just... Who, was, who was in the entourage? Who came with you? Did mum, dad come uh, with no, you? Did, uh, you never my mum, really. Uh, but always my, my dad and my brother. Like, my brother did karting all the way till we started together and did karting till 2014. The year I made the transition from, I did Janetta and... The, the world championships and before F, um, F4 in 2015 so so 
Ollie, isn't it? Yeah. Is he the reason you got into cars and carts? No, it's, it's the opposite. Because um, your he's family, the there's, I, no, there's no racing history in your no. family, so am I right? So, yeah, so how did it all happen? So I watched it on TV sometimes, I, and I watched MotoGP. It's the story. I actually tell a lot. Uh, is I watched MotoGP before I watched F1 or F2 or anything like that. Hence the Rossi. Hence Rossi. And he was the first kind of cool character, which being four or five years old, I just loved. He was so cool and the colors and everything. Um, yeah, and he's the guy since that age that I've always looked up to. And, and sorry to interrupt the train of thought, but when you met Rossi, Valentino Rossi yeah. we're talking about, you went to Silverstone last year, yes. didn't you, to the, to the MotoGP race. What was it like... So he is your hero. If I was to say to you, yeah. who is your hero, would you say Valentino? Yes. Right. What was it like to meet him and what did you say? Um, what was it like to meet him? Well, it was weird because I'm at the point where, you know, I'm old enough now and like mature enough that is, you act differently around your heroes than you would have done if I met him when I was 10 and I would have been a massive fanboy and just couldn't stop screaming. Whereas, I'm, yeah, now I'm at the point... I was, well, I think I was, well, I was 19 then, and you, you act more normal. Um, and you don't get overexcited and stuff. But, well, I want to say, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't watch him, but he inspired me to do a lot of the things that I've done and to start motor racing and start... Did you tell him that? Um, no. What was the first thing I said? How's it going? <laughs> so boring. Um... Yeah, it was one of the first things was, uh, so how was it going? Because it was in the middle of the race weekend, it was Saturday, no, Sunday, Sunday morning. They just had warm up and how was it going? And we decided that hopefully in the near future, we can uh, do a race together. He does a bit of car racing. He did Dubai 12 hours, is it? End of last year. So he does a few car races. He was quick at Valencia in the Ferrari back in 2006. Back when well, he, he, he tested alongside Michael Schumacher yeah. and was, did a proper job, really good job. Okay, so look, he's the reason yeah. you got into motorsport. So a lot of people might then say, why are we not having this conversation uh, in a MotoGP paddock? Yeah. Why, why the car racing and not the bike racing? Well, so I started on bikes um, and I had a, a little motocross Yamaha uh, when I was much younger. Um, still got it now, actually. Can't start it for some reason. Um, and I started on doing that and I, and I loved it. I would spend as much time doing that as I could. But I had one like little crash. I mean, it was a little crash. It felt a huge crash. Um, and I just tried doing this little jump and I had no idea what I was doing. And I went over and I landed on the front wheel and went over, the bike landed on me. And I saw six, six years old, seven years old scared me didn't want to do it um and i kind of stopped for, for a little while and um then um i was watching those races i started watching a little bit of formula one as well but then my dad took my brother and me to clay pigeon which is a local karting track um as the british championships and somehow we found out that it was or he found out that it was there and we went to watch on a sunday afternoon um just in time for the final and it was really cool it's my first thing I went to go and watch and I, I yeah it's just really cool to see it at that age and my dad went around asking people if they had any spare suits and boots because I said I wanted to have a go 
but I wasn't allowed. It was a proper race weekend. Um, so he was going around asking people, you got anything spare? You got anything you don't need anymore? And we ended up going away with, I remember the, a blue Sparco suit, I think it was, and uh, some pair, a pair of boots, which are way too big for me. <laughs> and then I had to buy the helmets. And uh, I didn't even think I bought new boots. I think I had to wear the boots, which are way too big for me. And uh, yeah, that was that. That was my first time. And not long after, I think for my seventh birthday, I got a Bambino go-kart which I started driving around at home with a little square bit of tarmac where I put some cones out and I would drive around. It was pretty small. But, um, yeah, I did that. Loved doing it. Was, was it like a lightning strike? Bam, this is what... Yes. I've never felt this before. And yeah. It was sort of first... Was it, your, was it your first passion in It life? was. I felt more in control than I ever did in a bike. Well, actually, well, I had the quad bike before I had the bike. And I loved that. So I loved the four wheels, actually. And apparently I was getting too dangerous from it. So my dad sold it without me knowing and just said it's gone. I felt that was a bit harsh. So I had no more quad biking. Then I, then I got the motorbike, which I don't know how that's really any more safe. Um, so I had the motorbike and then, um, then the quad bike, but then the, then the go-kart, but the car was the best thing. As soon as I jumped in, it just feels more, it's more comfortable. You're sitting down. I just felt more at home straight away. And um, I loved doing it. And my brother saw how much I loved doing it. And uh, he wanted to have a go. And then he loved doing it. And then... So you did it together. It was a, it, something yeah. you and him... Yeah. A bit of sibling rivalry. Pretty much. Well, I only raced against him for the first year or so. Because he's a bit older than me. Three years, four years. Who was quicker? Um, to begin with, he was quicker. He was much quicker, actually. And he was like doing pretty well and are race, you just saying that because they probably listened to this no 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 oh, right. he was when he first started when he first started just reiterating that you know and we were racing with with George and at that point we were nobody like I mean with George Russell we're talking about George Russell and George was the guy he was the he was the champion I don't know, I don't know if he was the champion but he was the the guy winning races he was a cool guy if we ever got to racing, we're like, oh my God, we get to, George overtook me today. It's so cool. And he was, yeah, it was, that was, that was how we started, not knowing anything. And it was just cool to be like on track with George Russell. And he was racing with them and he did really well in a lot of the races and I was always a lot further back. But he was, my brother's quite tall, six foot something. And that is a disadvantage in, in karting. But whenever it was wet, and it's an advantage. Fact, it's an advantage. Because I was terrible in the way and I was small. So it was a disadvantage for me. Um, he was really good. He was polling the European Championships in PFI, which is a, a karting track in England. Then he was polling, I think, another European race in La Conca in Italy. Um, okay. All right. Yeah, he can do it. Beating me both of those times. This mm. was in 2014, our final year. And he had two poles, and I think I had none. So his so, ratio of, of so why did he stop? So he didn't. He doesn't. He didn't enjoy. He liked the social side and the um, how relaxing karting was. You know, we go out there on the Wednesday, and it's a lot of time with a lot of friends, a lot of competitors. But you knew a lot of people. I'm surprised your folks didn't have social services after them. <laughs> Taking both of their sons out of school on what, a Tuesday, did you say? Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of drivers doing it. And uh, 
he mm. he really enjoyed how open and fun it was and enjoyment. When you get to car racing, it's a lot more serious, costs a lot more money. You're going a lot quicker. It's more dangerous, and uh, he just didn't enjoy that as much. He loved the karting and didn't enjoy the car racing as much. Did, was that easier for you when he wasn't around? Did you prefer being the focus and the? No, I would. Um, uh, no, it was. I mean, it was fun when we're driving together because we're trying to beat each other. It was competition, brotherly competition. It was different when he went away, but it was. I mean, by the time we stopped, I was 14. I, I had a bit more of an idea of what how, what was going on, things I, I wanted to do. Um, you know, this was the, the year of doing Ginetta uh, and he was doing karting. So it was still different. And I just, yeah, would start traveling alone and he wouldn't be there. Uh, so it was a bit weird, but then... Was George, was George Russell a mate back then? Or was he just who... You no, know, he was more the guy we looked up to. <laughs> no, you still have to be mates, I suppose, or not? Um... No, I mean, can you remember having a barbecue with, with him? Or why would he be like mates that? with me? I'm, like, I'm the guy in 15th place and he's winning races. He's not going to want to be mates with me. <laughs> After, by the time we got to the end of karting, we were mates. The first few years, we, we won. I, we didn't know him at all. But then as we kind of took a few steps up and he was racing abroad and then I started racing abroad, another Brit, um, then you start to get to know him a bit more and you speak and... Um, is he your best mate on the grid now? George? Yeah. Uh, well, him, Alex, and... The Brit Pack. Him and Alex, we just know well. We get along really well. Because of racing last year and kind of going up and karting a little bit together. Um, but then on the side, obviously, Carlos um, and Max. Those are the group of guys that I speak to mostly. Max, because of doing all the sim racing. But you raced against Max in karting as well? Never. I'm sure I've seen a photograph of you two. There's two of us because I won the European Championships that day. Ah, different And he races, won the European Championships that day, but in seniors. Ah, okay. So you, so you were in the same paddock, but not the same, same paddock, race. but not okay. in the, the same category. Can um, we talk about those relationships a bit? Because, you know, we're sitting, the, we're sitting in the McLaren motorhome and, you know, this is where Senna Prost had their yeah. thing going on and... You could also, I think, include Lewis and Fernando Alonso back in 2007. And there's always been, you know, a bit of needle. And, and I find the, sort of, the friendship with Carlos seems genuine. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's not. Um, it is. Everything we do is none of it's acting. None of it's something we're not. We're both just enjoying being where we are, working with each other. And with McLaren, that we're, we're free to just be who we want to be. We don't need to hide or be somewhere we're not. Like I think you do see in other teams. From what I've seen of Carlos, he's very different to what he was the last few years. Have you discussed that? Has he, does he admit that? Mm, I don't know. I haven't. He feels... I haven't discussed it with him, but just uh, as an observer, he seems very relaxed in this environment. Yeah. He seems very relaxed around you. Yeah. Whereas at Renault, he had Hulkenberg and, and yeah, and I don't think that it, like um, you would say the Red Bull. Anyone who's in the Red Bull situation is just tense, I think, because you've always got another driver that's there somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, you know the story of how. Red Bull works. Were you ever tempted? Were you ever asked to become part of that program, the Red Bull program? Um, 
No. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I met... Well, I, no, I don't really know. Um, I met Helmut Marco actually, after qualifying on pole in Monaco, before being disqualified for having something illegal on the car. Um, <laughs> I was in Formula Renault, it was 2016, or 2015. Yeah, 2015, and, uh, no, 2016. Yeah, 2016. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was on pole, and my manager got a call from Helmut Marco. And uh, I went to go and see, uh, well, from our paddock, which is like a mile away from where the track is, all the way to in the paddock for F1. Freaking awesome. Never, like, hardly ever been in there. Onto the Red Bull barge and uh, yeah I walked in met him had a little conversation I still remember pretty much everything he said oh go on do share yeah. do share um, I'd imagine he was very generous in his praise yes um, he just wanted to kind of know a little bit about me I guess and you know ask me a few questions how much does a Formula Renault car weigh I've got no idea. I'm like, I had to come up with a word. I had to come up with something, didn't I? I had to come up with, yeah, you know, uh, 400 kilos, 426 and something like that. And he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, I think I even actually ended up saying, I don't really, I don't really know. And then um, the next thing he said was, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should say it. <laughs> the next thing he said was, well, Max would know. Max knows everything about the car. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what to say after that. I was just like, ah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, just, yeah. I, just, I can't really remember what happened, but I didn't, well, I didn't say anything. I was just like, oh, okay, um, moving on kind of thing. I just, yeah, I was speechless. And uh, yeah, that was about that. That's what I'm so no offer. No, no offer. No, um, I was I was in a good position with what I was doing, and uh, my manager as well looked after a lot of the, the conversations and stuff like that. And for the best, I think uh, there might have been something, but I, I ended up not, obviously not joining Red Bull and um, continuing in the run and the situation I was in at the time which was just doing well in Formula, Ren or Formula Renault ended up winning that um, being a free guy basically not getting caught up in the, rent, the Red Bull you know once you're in you're on a tight leash with yeah. what you can do I'm and sure then, Carlos has told you a bit yes, about that yes he has yeah. Um, so yeah for my, my manager knew for the, for me was the, the best thing was to, to be on my own and not be with, with Red Bull or even another team at the time because um, I still had the possibility to go through to F3 and F2 and, and do that um, before having to or choosing to join an F1 team so Carlos you live vaguely close to each mm -hmm. other in the UK um, do you hang out? Mm, not he's he's rarely there to be honest he lives in Spain still that's not what he tells us in the media I've moved to Woking. I mean, yes. <laughs> He's there a lot of the You've time. He's just blown his cover. Oh, shite. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
he's 50-50. <laughs> he lives in Spain. He still goes and lives with his family a lot of the time. But he's, I would say he's there a good two, three days a week. Always there, obviously, to be at, at McLaren. So when he's there, he's uh, mostly at McLaren. Um, normally for the weekends, he flies back. And then for the week after, he'll, he'll come back. Um, so when he is there, you know, we'll play on the sim or um, go play top golf. Together, you'll go to the driving range and yes. whack a few balls. I mean, he's really good at golf. Yeah, he is. I'm um, freaking yeah. awful. So he has a lot to, yeah, he, he actually helps me quite a bit. But, but so what happens when it gets tasty and, you know, let's hope that the McLaren is, is competitive this yeah. year and you guys are fighting at the sharp end. When it gets a bit tasty on track between you and you're fighting over the same bit of tarmac, do you envisage a situation where it's going to get out of control or do you think that the friendship is deep enough for you guys to be able to deal with whatever I know at some point way? in the future um, and this year it's going to get more tense and more iffy and we're going to probably fall out a few times in terms of getting frustrated with one another or you know he holds me up or something or I hold him up or something not, not on purpose because I don't think he'll ever go that far but um you know, you lose out on a position or something because you're racing or you're side by side and you squeeze him and he has to run off or I have to run off the track. You're going to have something like that and uh, someone's going to be uh, annoyed about it and be one of the one of us is going to be unhappy. So, uh, yes, I think that is going to happen. But, um, I don't know. I don't have you discussed about. it? No. Have you discussed it with Andreas Seidel, team principal? I think we have a very good, not we don't have rules and we don't have team orders, but we have a very good understanding for one another, for our best interests for each other um, and ourselves, but also the team and what we want to achieve with the team and obviously hoping to be with McLaren in the future years. And for that is, you know, do what we did last year and we wouldn't have got fourth in the constructors last year. So I can probably say it's, it's better if I say about last year that without working how we did last year and having our own principles and uh, respect for one another and trying to help each other and be a team, we would not have finished fourth in the constructors last year. Um, a lot of good results from him were, let's say, helped by me and a lot of my results, which were good, were helped by him. So we've, we've worked really well together and I think that's been very beneficial for us. Um, and of course, that's more what I meant by if we can stay with McLaren, that's our goal. Is we want to be winning races. We don't want to just be, you know, P eight, P nine like we were last year. We want to be winning and doing even better. So, for each other and coming into this year, I think we did the best job we could to, to work together. How confident are you of getting another year out of McLaren? At least another year. Um, that's a I don't know. It's a difficult question because. Um, does it weigh on your mind? No, not yet. Probably will <laughs> coming later on in the season. At the moment, I'm. I just need to just do what I did last year, pretty much. I think that was a good start. There's things I need to work on for them to be very confident. But they give me confidence, and they're honest, and they say what I'm good and what I need to do better on, um, which is very good. And that gives me the ability to work on those things and be a more complete and better driver. And as long as I work on that, um, I think I've proven a lot of reasons why I should be able to stay 
and given you know that little bit more time to work on these small things but at the same time um, that I've done a good enough job last season already um, knowing that I'll probably only improve to stay with the team so Max Verstappen is also a mate you say yeah um, he's also a teammate isn't he team yes, Redline yes who's quicker we're talking about e-racing now uh, this is tough we're very similar in fact um, it's, it ends up coming down to who spends the most time on the simulator and we're both very committed to spending a lot of time on the simulator testing and putting in laps he's the same as me I think in terms of when he wants to do something well he spends a lot of time trying to be perfect at it um, when, especially when it comes down to the, to the driving and to racing so housework I've done about that <laughs> <laughs> a glorious life for Monaco um, no I'm not too sure but we, we both like push each other and we're both very competitive when it comes to driving on the simulator we both want to beat each other just as much as normal and as, a, as driving an F1 car um, so yeah it's, it's good it's just competition but uh, again we've not raced each other on the actual track yet so what about Lewis Hamilton how, how are relations with him how well do you know him uh, I don't I don't know him Let's say uh, I've only, I've only really seen what you've seen. Do you chat when you're on the on the bus going around waving at the crowd before the no, race? No, he normally has his, his headphones in and he's on his own, so I don't think he really speaks to anyone <laughs> normally. Did he talk to you at the I start? I wished him Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. In Abu Dhabi, you said. No, that? I mean I text him. Oh, okay, I've got his number. And I can uh, all right sell it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and did you get a reply? I did. And he wished me back. Yeah. I don't know if I said Merry Christmas. I remember I Michael Schumacher um, always used to make a thing out of getting to know all of the drivers on the grid. So a new guy, Pedro de la Rosa used to say his first race in 1999 in Melbourne, the first, the person who opened the door of the hotel for him, the Crown Towers in Melbourne, was Michael Schumacher. Yeah. And they had a chat and Michael introduced himself. There was none of that from Lewis uh, towards you. No, it's more... No. Oh, yeah, how are you doing? Then he's off. Right, okay. So what about the press conference at Silverstone last year then? Lewis was in that press conference. Mm-hmm. Daniel Ricciardo was in You were there that. as well. Yeah, I was. I, was, I remember it vividly. <laughs> I mean, um, that was funny. Yeah. Can, we, can, can you share the joke now, six months Everyone knows the joke. You should what, know. What, what, it was I, in the, the, the script I after. I can't remember the joke. You'll have to tell me again. All right. I can't remember what was going on. I was talking about moustaches, weren't we? Yes, we were, yeah. And how Lewis can grow one very well. And I said, um, yeah, I've been growing one for, what, 19 years? Still not, not going so strong. And um, then Daniel peered over to his left and was um, like, uh, <laughs> have you even got pubes yet? <laughs> um, <laughs> and... Uh, as a, as a joke, I answered no, but like, but just between me and him. So, um, so no one could really, really hear, you can only see us saying it after. Um, and like nothing happened for a few seconds. And you know when you're in school and you, you got your mates that kind of made you laugh, but you're trying to concentrate and then you look up but you just see him giggling and then you can't help, but help yourself but just laugh. 
it was that situation. And uh, we was talking about it, and Danny's just a, he's a funny guy. And um, I kind of like looked back over, and I just couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. My but jaw was hurting, I was laughing. It was so, it was, it was, I, was I, I couldn't ask you another question as the, as the, as the MC, could I? You, you, you were gone. No, gone, was the man was gone. Completely. But I love that you're just so relaxed in this environment. Yeah. That's what I took away from that press conference is that this guy Lando Norris, you know, there are a lot of people who are quite nervous before that kind of thing, and yet you're just so easy with the whole thing. It's like, well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm nervous. I, you know, I need to answer the questions right. I can't, I can't just say whatever. I still need to be a little bit mm. within the, mm. you know, sponsors and and team and what our goals are and and everything like that. So. I still have to, you still need to talk a little bit about, you have to still be a team player kind of thing and say what you should say and not say what you shouldn't say. But, um, so I'm still nervous about that and you know, it's live TV and everything. You don't want to mess up, make a fool of yourself like I did. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs> but uh, it's still like, yeah, no, still trying to be normal and just you and then him making you laugh. It's still just, that's what happens. And if we weren't in that situation, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have been as funny. I think it was just funny that we're in front of like a live TV and you're asking the questions and it just situation made it even worse. But yeah, um, you, 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 yeah. you got McLaren a few headlines that day. But I look, did. It was all part of the plan. It was, it was all my, part it was of the plan. Script. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, there's one last area I just wanted to ask you about, and that is the whole sort of social media thing. Yeah. And how close is the virtual Lando, the guy that we see on Instagram and twitching and all these sorts of things how how close is that person to the the virtual how close is the virtual lando to the real lando to me um but i think what you see on twitch is just me i mean it's just me with a camera in front of me why do you do that it's just good fun if i'm spending those 36 hours playing on my computer or whatever (laughs) it was i i know i would never do that solo i couldn't just spend that time on my own I normally play with some friends or I'm, you know, playing with some other drivers or, yeah, playing with some people I know. Um, but at the same time, if no one else is on or wants to play, then I stream and you can just interact with your viewers, you know, with my, my well, not viewers, my fans and people that want to see a normal me, a normal driver that sits at home and plays on a computer like a normal person and that it's not... I'm not some some hero that just, you know, magically drives an F1 car and everything I do is like something that they could dream of doing. I still just sit at home and I play on my computer. So, um, I know it's just good fun and it creates a lot of laughs a lot of the time because you have people saying stuff and it just, I mean, I'm chatting with people online, but you're just answering questions. They create challenges. You can make people's day by um, you can do giveaways you can do whatever that's where I started my merch actually that's where I started all of it um, it's just it's another way of giving my fans another or more interaction with me mm. it's also just because I get a bit bored sometimes do you, you, you spoke at the launch of the MCL 35 about some negativity you've got yeah um, do you feel very vulnerable very exposed in your position as a Formula One driver who tries to interact and give back to the fans yeah. do you feel um, exposed and... I guess you do a little bit 
there's and I mean you do a lot of me like I don't care about and I'm not that fussed about what people say what kind of things do people say um it's just a lot of stuff like anyways it doesn't even have to be horrendous but it's you can I mean does it get very personal or is it just Ferrari fans saying oh I don't like McLaren no like that I don't care at all about what, what those people would say I mean that's just their own opinion about the team and that's fine but if it's more personal stuff you know you just got people that talk about say my family or my dad or things that they literally don't have a clue about and they think that they have an idea and they're saying stuff you know yeah more a lot of it's personal about my family or something then that's what gets to me a bit more do you reply? Do you engage with no, these people? No, I, I don't. I never do that. Oh. I mean, I, a lot of the time I just laugh. And I love seeing what people can come up with and where they get these ideas from. Yeah. So but I love it, seeing it that sometimes. You, but you there's go. still some things. And it's more than about how people, what people see as in me. So the thing that I said I was going to change with social media was I make these jokes and I post them online and I have fun and I, I don't just post about Formula One cars like you get a lot of drivers. Not obviously a lot of drivers, like some of the drivers do. But I post a lot about fun and what I do at home and stuff like that. Which, again, they're not all my fans want to see. A lot of them just want to see McLaren and me winning and stuff like that, which, which I'm still fine with. But um, the thing is, when you make, when I'm, if I make a mistake or I've done something, then they are. They see that the day before I posted something funny, I joke. For some reason, and which I think is normal for a human, but you see that and they think the reason I would have made that mistake is because, you know, they've not seen any other driver post a, a joke or something funny on social media. And I'm the only like, one of the only ones, or I think I was one of very few or the only one. I think everyone's changed a bit now. Um, that did something like that and post a joke and so on they use that as the excuse for why I would have made that mistake in qualifying or why I made the mistake in the race like you know you're not concentrating enough you're not focusing on the right thing maybe you should stop making all these jokes and stuff like that which again I'm completely fine with I don't get stressed about that or worry about it but it's just I'd rather not see it and without having to change who I am because I'm not going to do anything like that um it's just choose a bit more specifically when I post jokes and stuff like that and memes and post more relaxing stuff and post a bit more about me working with my engineers and going for a run and being in the gym just so that I, I still show them a little bit more that I'm hardworking and that I do my best I can in Formula 1 and it's not all just fun and jokes and stuff like that isn't it? it's sort of perception it's just yeah, the whole perception of you've got to have you feel who I am. but isn't that and I'm fine with what a lot of people I don't I feel that's a, do people, you feel that's sad that you feel you have to give the perception that you're hard working and training when you know you know you're doing no because it's it's something so small I think like uh, I'm not changing anything who I am I'm just posting like what times and how often I post about something funny which mm. It's like it's so easy to do. It's not like I have to go and spend so much time thinking, right, I can't do this now and I have to not be me. It's just I don't post it until after the weekend. Simple as that. 
um, mm. or something like that. It's, it's just something small, which uh, I don't think it's that sad because it's so small. But if it gets to the point where I'm like, I just can't be me and, and so on, then um, then that's the sad point. But I'm I'm not anything like that. I I find the humour in a lot of the hate that I get. I feel sad. I feel sad listening to you describe oh. it like that. But well, look, let's end on a positive note. Yes. Uh, by the way, the chicken still hasn't been It is been still touched. there. It's not really even touched. We predicted that, didn't we? We predicted that the chicken was going to be touched. But look, final thoughts then. What have I got? I, I, um, go on, McLaren's chances in 2020. Yep. Is it, you know, Carlos got a podium last year. Is that, if I was to sit down with you after Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. how would you sum up a successful season? I would sum up a successful season by... Hmm. Well, as a team, as a team, I'd say successful is by simply doing a better job than we did last season, by making the most of more opportunities and mistakes by the top three teams, being there more when it counts, less problems with reliability, which is within our hands. As a team, I think that's that's our goal, is just to take another step forward, gather even more understanding for next year, but at the same time, still try and get even better results throughout the year. Um, you know, get more of those P4s or P5s even. And if you can, get the podium. But with the podiums, I think we'll need a bit of luck. From my side, it's to work on those areas which I struggled in last year and I know I wasn't good enough in. And such, as, such as the race. Right. <laughs> in a simple term, the race. But on top of, you know, the communication, the tyre saving, fuel saving, strategy, um, again, not being the yes man and just going, yeah, okay, I'll do this. But being proactive in in thinking, right? Actually, I want to stay out. I want. I don't want to do a two stop. I want to do a one stop. Or guys, I think we need to change the two stop and coming up with my own ideas a bit more. Um, but then doing a better job at tire saving, more efficient, and all these little things. I mean, all comes with big. confidence, right? They do. And um, already in this the test and the last few days, I feel like I've done a much better job in a few of those areas. Um, which has already made me more confident and happier. But position-wise, personally, there's nothing I want to achieve or can set my goal for in terms of I want to get a P4 this season or anything. I'd love to get a podium. <laughs> that would be nice. But for myself, is to work on my weaknesses. I just do what I did last season, which was my best. And uh, Enjoy it. And, and yeah. new contract in your back pocket. Hey? Yeah, exactly. Yes, that would be another, that's another one. Make sure I'm here next year. <laughs> Lando, best of luck with everything. What a great chat. Thank you so much for your time. Been a pleasure. All right. See you soon. Thank you very Cheers. Much. Bye. F1 needs more Landos. He's funny, he's irreverent, and he's bloody quick. I found that a fascinating chat. There's so much more going on under the surface than his social media persona suggests. This is a man who lives and breathes motor racing. Let's hope this year's McLaren MCL 35 allows him to fight at the front on a regular basis and he gets rewarded with another contract for 2021. And if ever your cleaning fetish gets too much for you, Lando, you know who to call. A big thanks for your time and to McLaren for their fantastic hospitality. Well, that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd rate and review the show. And if you haven't yet subscribed to Beyond the Grid, we're on Apple, Spotify and all your favourite podcast apps. And we're going to be back next week with another spectacular guest from the world of Formula One. In the meantime, if you want to drop me a message about the show, I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter or you can use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. 
We really do love your comments and we read them all. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.